Our gospel lesson for this morning is from Mark chapter 1. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed by demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. But in the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. But he answered, let us go on to the neighboring town so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came here to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in the synagogues and casting out demons. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts together in this place and in all places be found pleasing to you. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't really know what I expected monks to be like. But I definitely didn't expect them to be like Brother Francis. So during seminary, I spent a week with Brother Francis along with my wilderness theology class at the Monastery of Christ in the Desert in Abiquiu, New Mexico. This monastery is 16 miles off of any sort of paved road and situated within a beautiful canyon where the sun reflects shades of red, orange, and purples off of the surrounding mountains at different times of day. It is truly one of the most sacred spaces I have ever encountered. But going into this experience, I assumed that monks were fairly quiet, serious, reserved kinds of people who keep to themselves, and to be fair, some of them were. Brother Francis was not. Brother Francis was the resident artist at the monastery, and during our work time each day, I helped him clean out his art studio slash hoarding space where he liked to keep all of his treasures that he had never wanted to throw away. And as we worked and laughed together, I learned that his original name was Alfredo, and that before he became a monk, he actually owned a high-end furniture store in Los Angeles. Brother Francis had this giant hula hoop in his art studio that he loved to play with whenever the other monks weren't paying attention. And he often kept the door of his art studio closed so that they couldn't hear him playing loud music and dancing and singing. And he affectionately called his other brothers the monkeys. (laughs) 
Brother Francis was full of life and energy and vitality, and he totally shattered any preconceived notions I had about what monks were like. But what I learned most from Brother Francis was what a life of prayer can look like. Because you see, this same monk who would be playing with his hula hoop at one point during the day would be lying face down on the stone floor of the chapel at another point in full submission to God when it was time for prayer. I will never forget the moments we shared with the monks in prayer, sometimes chanting, sometimes singing, sometimes whispering, sometimes being completely silent. The monk's daily schedule at the monastery follows the rule of St. Benedict, and their motto is Ora et Labora, prayer and work. They gather together for prayer seven different times throughout the day, with the first prayer time beginning at four o'clock in the morning, and absolutely everything else that happens in their day is an interruption. But their days are filled with good and important things. Studying, writing, working in their gardens, preparing meals, manual labor, working in the community. The monks have actually produced a recording of their favorite chants. And in 2012, they were invited to travel to New York City to sing their chants on the Today Show. And they even have their own brewing company at the monastery where they make Monk's Ale, an award-winning craft beer with a tagline that says each bottle is made with care and prayer. (laughs) They are fun dudes, let me tell you. But no matter where they are or what they are doing, whenever the bell rings that means it is time for prayer, they stop what they are doing, they come to the chapel, and there they pray. Ora at labora, prayer and work. And I must say that in my short time at the monastery, I began to crave a kind of prayer life that I had never experienced before, and honestly, that I have rarely experienced since. In today's text, we find Jesus up early in the morning while it is still dark, not unlike these monks, and he has gone off to a quiet place by himself to pray. But before we dig into this text in Mark, I want us to take a step back and to look at the gospel as a whole for a moment, because I have to point out that Mark's is a very fast-paced gospel, (laughs) It's often called the gospel of immediacy because we see Jesus immediately doing one thing after another after another. For instance, in this first chapter alone, the Spirit immediately drives Jesus out of the wilderness in verse 12. The disciples immediately drop their nets and follow Jesus in verse 18. In verse 20, when Jesus sees James and John in their boats, he immediately calls out to them and they leave their father in the boat and they follow Jesus. And then in verse 29, as soon as they leave the synagogue, they go to see Simon's mother-in-law who is sick. I mean, in other Gospels, we would hardly have gotten to the baby Jesus in the manger this early in the game. 
But in Mark's gospel, Jesus is baptized, tempted in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. He calls the disciples, he teaches in the synagogue, heals the sick, casts out demons, and all of this before the end of chapter 1. I don't know about you, but by this point, I am already exhausted. Which I believe makes today's text all the more important. You see, because of its brevity, everything in Mark's gospel is here for a reason. Mark doesn't leave room for any fluff. And yet it is here, even in this very fast-paced gospel, that we read in verse 35, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. Although we don't really know how long Jesus was there, because It literally says that the disciples hunted him down. (laughs) They say, don't you know that everyone is looking for you? As if to suggest, you know, there are far more important things to be doing right now than sitting up here alone in the dark, Jesus. (laughs) And you know, Jesus could have responded in frustration. I wouldn't blame him if he had said, can't you people just leave me alone for five minutes? But he responds calmly and confidently and says, you know what, it's, it's time to go on to this next town so that I can preach the gospel there too, because that is what I came to do. In a very tactful way, what amazes me here is that Jesus says no to the disciples. They must be in shock as they try to explain to him, but Jesus, there are still plenty of people over here who need you. But he says Sorry, it's time to move on. I can imagine that his response is probably really frustrating or at least confusing to them. And who knows what the people in town had to say about Jesus leaving. I'm sure if Facebook or Twitter had been around, there would have been some pretty off-color remarks about his decision. But when he takes time to pray, suddenly his mission becomes clear. And Jesus knows the work that he is uniquely called to do. You know, sometimes I wonder if in all of our attempts to help and to serve and to fix and to do, while they may all be worthwhile efforts, do we ever get distracted from the most important things that God is calling us to do? Or do we find ourselves becoming overwhelmed and spread so thin that we wonder if we are ever making any sort of difference at all? Which is why aura et labora is so important because prayer clarifies our work. It helps us to tune in to what it is that God is uniquely calling us to do and who it is that God is uniquely calling us to be. I mentioned last week in my sermon that our ministers and deacons are doing some collective work over the next few months, discerning some of the big picture areas where we as a church most feel called to focus our time and energies as we make our way out of COVID-19. And several of you have already mentioned to me after hearing this list of needs that I said last week, you've said this is completely overwhelming. (laughs) I go from point to point to point on the list, and all of these things are important. And it's true. 
This month, we are going to turn our gaze outside of our church to look more closely at the needs of our surrounding community and world, and I have a feeling that that list will be even more so. When you and I are surrounded by needs, both internally and externally, it can become completely paralyzing. Which is why what Jesus does here is so compelling to me. Particularly as an Enneagram 2 who wants to help all the people with all the things. But it's an important reminder about why this work of prayerful discernment is so vital for us as a church. Particularly in this pivotal time. Because it helps us to discover out of all the needs surrounding us, in what ways do we as Highland Baptist Church feel most called and equipped to respond? And so I invite you to pray with our deacons and with our ministers as we do this work of discernment and know that we will keep you updated every step of the way. I think this text also gently reminds us that we can't ever do this work on our own. I mean, even Jesus understood the significance of stopping what he was doing to go and pray. Who am I? And who are we? And what are we thinking when we convince ourselves that we don't need prayer? Or that we don't have time to pray? How often do we operate under the motto of labora et ora? Work and pray if there's any time left over. I must admit that this text convicts me at my core of the many ways in which our pride and self-sufficiency and our addiction to work and busyness can fog our minds and souls from the deep gravity of our need for God. If you haven't read the book Sabbath by Wayne Moeller, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's a book I've read cover to cover so many times. He writes, there is astounding wisdom in the traditional Jewish Sabbath that it begins precisely at sundown, whether that comes at a wintry 4.30 or late on a summer's evening. Because Sabbath is not dependent upon our readiness to stop. We do not stop when we are finished. We do not stop when we complete our phone calls, finish our project, get through this stack of messages, and get this report out that's due tomorrow. We stop because it's time to stop. Sabbath requires our surrender. And if we only stop when we have finished our work, well, we will never stop because our work is never completely done. He goes on to say, our culture invariably supposes that action and accomplishment are better than Sabbath rest. That doing something, anything, is better than doing nothing. Because of our desire to succeed, to meet these ever-growing expectations, we do not rest. Poisoned by this hypnotic belief that good things only come through unceasing determination and tireless effort, we never truly rest. Because we do not rest, we lose our way, he says. We miss the compass points that would show us where to go. We miss the quiet that would give us wisdom. 
And if anyone understood this, it was Jesus, completely surrounded by people who always needed him. Yet somehow even Jesus didn't get a Messiah complex. For Jesus, these Sabbath moments sometimes looked like waking up early in the morning while it was still dark, going to a quiet place by himself and praying. For the monks, these moments happen seven times a day in a beautiful chapel that overlooks the mountains. And perhaps the question is, what does this time look like for you and for me? I recognize that we have incredibly busy lives, and we are still in a global pandemic. Nothing is normal right now. I am very mindful of that as I preach to this little camera in the sanctuary. We are working full-time or even more, studying full-time, parenting full-time. Now we are teaching our children full-time too. And that's not to mention other family responsibilities and church commitments and community work and more. Some might say we just don't have time to pray right now. But I might suggest that we can't afford not to. However, I would quickly add that prayer doesn't have to look like going to a chapel in the monastery or even at waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> because I believe that Sabbath moments will look differently for all of us in different stages and seasons of our lives. And so maybe one way to think about it is this. If today's text were rewritten about us, In our best moments, when we feel most connected with the divine, where and how would you and I be pictured praying? I thought of you and came up with a few possibilities for us. In the morning, while it was still very dark, she got up and went for a run, and there she prayed. In the afternoon, when the sun was peeking in through the windows, they picked up a journal to give words to that which was stirring in their soul, and there they prayed. In the evening, after a long day of never-ending Zoom meetings, he sliced colorful vegetables and added ingredients in the comfort of his kitchen, and there he prayed. In the quiet of the yoga studio... She sat on her mat, stretched up her arms, and breathed deeply into her soul. And there she prayed. In the afternoon, when the sun was shining brightly through the trees in Cherokee Park, he walked around the loop, and there he prayed. In the wee hours of the night, when the house was dark, but the baby was crying, He got up to rock that newborn baby, and there he prayed. Friends, what does that moment look like for you? As Frederick Buechner once said, go where your best prayers take you. Unclench the fist of your spirit and take it easy, he says. Breathe deep the glad air and live one day at a time. Know that you are precious. Know that you can trust God. And so, Highland, may we have the courage 
to go where our best prayers can take us. Trusting that in these very moments, no matter where we are or what we are doing, Jesus meets us here. Thanks be to God. Amen.